The Bonfires of Social Enterprise with Detroit-based Rami Gingrass of Gingrass Global. My name is Anthony Haydinger, and as of now, I work for a Christian nonprofit doing community development work in urban agriculture. We're located in north-central Detroit, about four miles directly north of downtown, right in the smack dab of the city. Today we're here to talk about your business, Detroit Ento, right? Did I say that right? Yep. Okay. Yep, Ento. All right. Well, why don't you tell us about it? Yeah. Detroit Ento is Detroit's first R&D firm dealing with the sustainable production of insects as protein for food, feed, and pharma. So for food, it could be things such as protein powders, supplemental ingredients to bake mixes, snack foods, or whole insects in recipes like burgers or almost like as tofu is produced. For feed, that is dealing with animals, dealing with livestock, dealing with feed sources for pets, dealing with feed sources for all sorts of animals, and pharma, meaning pharmacological, like protein extracts, lipid extracts, all sorts of different things that insects can be utilized for. We're trying to capitalize on all of that. So we're beginning with crickets, as part of our human feed module. Then we'll be quickly moving into fly larvae for animal feed. And then we have uh, some other insects up our sleeve as it comes to uh, dealing with pharma. And so crickets are kind of the gateway bug. <laughs> <laughs> the gateway bug. I love it. This would be addicting because there's so many ways you could go with this. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when I met you back at uh, the, your presentation and, at the Build Institute, you really sold me. I think I told you, I'm like, I'm a hard person to sell about bugs. And I was totally sold by the time you were done. Will you tell me a little bit more about the uses of crickets first since we're on that? Yeah, yeah. So... The production of crickets has been happening for decades, usually just for bait, for fishermen, for pet mm. food, um, I mean pet stores I should say, people who have reptiles and birds, small fish. Crickets have been in production for some time. Most of those farms are located in the south. So there's been a lot of buzz dealing with issues of overpopulation, dealing with issues of food insecurity, and insects have been explored a lot more heavily since even, you know, it's been as early as 2013, the United Nations put out a whole document on edible insects. And literally ever since that document came out, things have been exploding for this mm -hmm. market. And so crickets, like I said, being that gateway uh, insect, have taken a lot of different turns as far as how we gauge the eating of insects to Western populations. The rest of the world eats insects almost daily on a regular basis, except for Europe and America, um, and usually for taste, not just for mm. sustenance, you know? And so here in the West, crickets are cute. They're so far removed on the food chain that even certain vegetarians and vegans I've spoken to have taken interest in them as a protein source. And people are kind of just getting fed up with what we have op you know, available for us as far as traditional protein, you know, cattle, chicken, pork, fish, People want to know where the food comes from. Crickets can be a much more sustainable option to creating that sovereignty in the protein cycle. Crickets use about 100 times less water than cattle. 100 times less water, 100 times less feed. And um, they can have, they have a very high protein conversion rate. So only about 
it's like 1.7 kilos in per kilo of growth for crickets, and that's about 10 kilos in per kilo of growth for cattle, for example. And space. Traditionally, you know, you want to have a large free-range operation for whatever animal you're operating on. Crickets like to be in crowded places, and it creates a really good opportunity, especially here in Detroit, to repurpose warehouses, old schools, large manufacturing plants. These are types of things that can be easily retrofitted to creating insect protein. Um, and furthermore, I think one of the best parts, one of the social aspects, is the environmental benefits of doing insects. So they can be reared on waste streams, like supermarket food waste that hasn't been, you know, pre-consumer food waste, restaurant scraps, brewery grains, distillery grains, gleaner programs. All those types of things can be converted into feed for different types of insects, crickets in particular. Um, and then we talk about other insects like larvae. Now we're talking wastewater. Now we're talking gray water systems, municipal waste. All sorts of different things that can be utilized as recycling. We call it nutrient upcycling. Right. <laughs> so then you can take that, what was once waste or filling a landfill, feed it to insects, and then either we or the animals we eat, eat these insects. And that just cuts a big part of the whole out of the system uh, yeah. that has been and, you know, as of currently, very destructive and very, you know, removed, kind of removed from the cycles of how we should be eating. And so, as of now, crickets have, in America, there's 45 companies at least that I know of that are marketing and selling human-based food products and only four farms for those crickets. Mm -hmm. And of those four farms, 87% of the entire market is controlled and processed by one company. And so... There's a lot of room for growth in the sector. And right now, the price is way too high on what most people call cricket flour, the refined protein product, um, just because there's not enough supply out there. The demand is high, supply is low, mm -hmm. which is a good place to be. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So there is definitely a built-in customer base for this. Will you um, also go back over with me, like comparing a cricket to another form of protein in terms of grams of protein. I th you did that for me right. once, I think. Yes, so when you take a, a bulk ratio, the percentage of edible protein for crickets is about 80% versus about 20% edible mass total of cattle, let's say. That breaks down to a range of 12 to 17 grams of protein per 100 grams of dry weight which is about the same for cattle, um, somewhere between 15 and 22 grams. The environmental mass changes a lot, though, on what you are externalizing the environment and or um, you know, what those benefits are as far as size of animal, how it's raised, the amount of resources it uses. And so that turns out to be about 70% protein you know, in total for the complete protein amount and the ratio that is edible it's about 70 percent pure protein on a cricket which is um compared to lobster tilapia for example that's more like a you know a, a 10 to 20 percent ratio for cattle it's about 40 percent so as far as complete edible mass you're getting a lot more protein for your bang for your buck um, with insects uh, so crickets and there's more and there's some that have much more and some that have much less there's over 2,000 species of insects that we have found to be edible 
or beneficial to our health in some sort of way. And um, that's just the beginning. So proteins to start with crickets. You have as much calcium as a glass and a half of milk per serving with crickets. And you have as much vitamin B12 as salmon, which is very hard to get. And you also have, I think, close to 70% of your daily iron intake in a serving of crickets. And that's like a, you know, serving size is like a handful. So, <laughs> you know, compared to a burger or compared to, you know, that 12-ounce steak, I mean, or, you know, three chicken breasts or whatever, you can see that manipulated the right way, it makes really good sense to put our efforts into creating something that's a little bit friendlier <laughs> on the environment, a lot bit friendlier, and um, that's just different. And they have a good taste, too. It's something kind of like you had the dried shrimp that you get in Vietnamese food. I mean, they're cousins. Some professors call crickets or insects in general land shrimp, <laughs> and that's the, that's the taste you get. It's kind of nutty, kind of like a cow taste, like those dried shrimp you may have had in Vietnamese food. I mean, it's delicious. The big hurdle there will really just being to get over the gross factor, the yeah. egg factor. But I mean, as we talked about, you know, there's suburban restaurants already serving milkshakes with crickets in it. I mean, it's already here. It's already happening. It just has to be redeveloped and industrialized in a way that makes it viable to compete with other protein sources. It obviously makes sense from a space, from an efficiency, a lot less cost. It's really more nutrient-friendly to our bodies, probably. But you're right, the gross factor, you think automatically. I mean, there's always those restaurants that are putting them in their burgers, and it can be hip and cool for a little while, but it it seems eccentric. Will you uh, share with me more about the protein powders? Because that really um, is a growing market potentially for you, isn't it? Yes. Yep, yep. So the protein powder market is the majority of what the cricket market is right now. There's a variety of things going on in the culinary world. You have people that are doing, like I said, like shakes, for example, making cookies, chips, snack foods. You have people making bake mixes for breads, for cupcakes, for pancakes. You have people working on protein bars like EXO out of Brooklyn or Chapool in Salt Lake City. You have people making granola. Um, and breakfast cereal, I'm sure, is like right around the corner. And then the actual protein powder, there's only one or two companies I know of that are actually making powdered four shakes for you know, drinking in the morning or having after the gym. Um, and then there's a whole other market dealing with enriching. So things that are already in production like tortillas or breads or anything that can be enriched and enhanced with protein and all of the micronutrients and you know, minerals you're getting from the crickets, that's a whole other thing going on. So the process is pretty simple. It's, um, and it's a pretty simple breeding process also with some you know, minimal dehydration and some food milling and you end up with that product. But it is more so dealing with that as the forefront instead of whole insects, just like you were saying. So when it's enriched in a product, you may not even taste it. You know what I mean? But those added benefits are already there. Chirps, for example, from Six Foods in Boston. A serving of their chirps has seven grams of protein in it. I think that's only like five chips or so. I mean, it's very easy to incorporate these things, especially in a way that no one would ever think twice about what they're consuming if those health benefits stood out now if it were that same product with the insect on it that obviously would (laughs) you know um 
might have that psychological ick factor, but a lot of people compare this to sushi, how it was a no-no in the 70s, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you know, the multi-billion dollar industry dealing with raw fish, which at one point seemed grotesque and, you know, insane to consume. But what I kind of picture is that insects are here in our diets, whether we like it or not, and it's only going to continue to become more prevalent as as our world keeps changing. It's not like you're getting like legs and you're, you know what I mean? You're not, yeah. like, you're not seeing any of it. It's, it's just a powder as if it were any other powder like maca root or, or chia seeds or hemp or anything. It's just another protein powder. Yeah. Um, but the nice part is it can be done here in the city of Detroit. How much space do you think you'd need just for the cricket side of it? And like, what does that look like for our, for us, would it be inside of a building, or do you need an outside portion too? What does that look like? It works best from what I've seen in indoor situations where you have a little bit more control over your environment. When you go outside, obviously you hear crickets any time of day, and so they can exist in all sorts of conditions, but they really prefer tropical, almost tropical type settings, so mm. high humidity, high heat, and um, which is not easily to achieve outdoors. And so inside is best. We're looking at a warehouse. Most of the farms I've seen in this country are ranging from 2,000 to 15,000 square feet. Most of them in a vertical integrated system, usually bins. But it can be done in a variety of ways, but we're going the same type of route. We want to go indoors so we can have year-round production, especially being in Michigan right. in the winter. Like, you know, we have to be able to produce constantly. The nice thing is they run on a 45 to 60 day cycle, so one and a half to two months. Very quick and easy as far as what the requirements are, as long as things stay stable. By uh, by September we should have collected enough data to write a whole article, um, kind of partnering or pulling from research done at UC Davis on feed formulation on crickets. Um, we're doing very similar experiments on industry standards, the pre-consumer food waste side of things, and really just testing out how we can produce in the space we're using and um, how much we can produce. So we're operating in a 2,000 square foot space for this summer, but if everything goes as planned, you know, we're going to have to quickly ramp up because production is done in one space, but processing, packaging, all of that has to be done somewhere else, at least initially, until we have a fully operational unit. A lot fewer risks than going, you know, full deep dive on the startup. We're doing it on a research basis, which means that a lot of our data will be able to be published, will be able to be documented in a way that will kind of, I think, further the field in general, as well as give us a really good operational plan for our business plan. And um, we already have customers lined up which is really interesting. Yeah, I can only really imagine. <laughs> what people want things for, like, you know, snack foods is one, protein powders is one, burgers is another thing people are looking at. Um, we have a couple of people interested in rich products and then a whole slew of people on the restaurant end who just want to experiment, you know, with the product. And so um, our hopes are that with the system we have, we'll have close to a ton. After dehydration, we'll have a ton of powder by the end of the summer and um, we'll have to get that tested, we'll have to do nutritional quality tests, we'll have to check for shelf stability, packaging, all these types of things. And that should be the blueprint and hope, I mean, the, the aim is to really 
secure some potential warehouse space. Hey, how are you? How are you doing? <laughs> to secure some warehouse space by the fall, deep into the fall or as soon as possible in the spring. We really don't want to be starting production in the winter. Take us through some of the other products now because I know there's um, what maggots and so right. yeah will you tell me about some of those other other pieces of the feed and the pharma because mm -hmm. that's really uh, extraordinary when you really start to understand it it's not just crickets but no. some of the other pieces that um you've got the whole ecosystem here which also gives you a whole variety of customers it's not just human and just this is what interests me as a okay as a capitalist entrepreneur <laughs> I work with a lot of investors and I just see this a huge customer base and huge, huge uh, demand. Even within food, there's a lot of different opportunities. A lot of people are looking at caterpillars, looking at beetles, um, <laughs> ants, looking at worms, even spiders, which are not insects, but nonetheless, a wide variety of tastes can come from all of these things. And not in some shock value, you know, Thailand street market type of way, but People are really interested in the flavors you can get. But moving into feed, I mean, for animal food, for pet food even alone, dealing with cats, dogs, birds, reptiles, and fish, insects play or can play a very vital role in changing the, you know, the paradigm shift on how those things are produced. As of now, a lot of those things are made with fish meal, soy, wheat, and corn, and fish meal being the most controversial because that's a process that is dying. It's an industry that is dying right now from mm -hmm. overfishing. So we basically take 12 to 20 million tons a year of fish out, we grind it up, and then it goes into cat and dog feed, poultry feed, cattle feed, fish feed. I mean, you name it, that fish meal is probably in it as a supplement for that entire feed formulation. Well, now we've seen that, I mean, the market has dropped so dramatically from overfishing and climate change and 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 you know it's the ocean people are starving for sustainable feed for their animals and so and we all know pet i mean pet owners will pay any price <laughs> to um support you know their 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 loved one and so in a similar way people who want you know you know agronomists and animal husbands and you know livestock producers of all sorts they really want to be able to provide the best high quality feed for their crop and insects are being tested in a, in a variety of ways to do that maggots um, black soldier fly larvae is probably our next step in um, insect production after we master the crickets because those are really really poised nicely for aquaculture right now which for is the, aquaculture for aquaculture and poultry oh, okay. um, cattle you know they really don't need to eat protein in that way usually it's grasses and fodder but for pork and for poultry and for fish that are usually omnivorous that's a really nice fit like soldier fly larvae which can break down and process even more than crickets can as far as a variety of feed inputs um, in the same way those can be dehydrated turned into a protein powder or a supplement for a feed or whole and there's also uh, lipid extracts that are very high in omega-3s and omega-6s that are being sold there's you know and that's a multi-billion dollar industry we're talking millions with crickets we're talking potential billions with maggots just a, a different process and a, and different clientele the opportunities are really quite large when you think of how we how our current industrialized food system is 
and how easily it could be to retrofit things to do insects. It really kind of blows your mind. Tell us your truth of the moment. If you could really dream big, like dream big for me. Well, I guess the truth of the moment for Detroit Ento would be to become this multinational firm that's dealing with all aspects of insects. What we really want to do, the social aspects, local employment, local distribution of knowledge, dealing with ag tech, of course, of course. We want to be involved with everything bug, you know, food, feed, pharma, beneficial, dealing with bees, dealing with worms, dealing with all sorts of environmental abatement things, everything just outside of pest management, <laughs> pest control, dealing with insects. We really picture us being a syndicate. You know, we want to be a household that. name that we can provide services that extend way beyond just this cricket powder. Go-to sources, the cycle of life has to continue and insects are integral to that. Let's talk about what could this grow into. We really picture it to be something that the next generation would have no qualms about. You know what I mean? That bugs are on the plate, that's fine. Bugs <laughs> are in the yard, that's fine too. You know what I mean? Bugs yeah. are in my medicine cabinet, that's cool. I mean, <laughs> you know, we want it to be a piece of everything we do. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, how do they reach you if they want to reach out? They might have a customer or investment or interest. I would say the best way to contact us is personally through my email, haytongan at gmail.com, and that is H-A-T as in Tom, I-N as in Nancy, G as in girl, A-N as in Nancy, haytongan at gmail.com, and I would say very shortly within the month, look for the Detroit Ento LLC Facebook page. And soon to follow our other social media things, especially as we start building our system and um, documenting our summer trials. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait to uh, come back and walk on this journey with you more f for our listeners. Yeah. And I uh, no, just want to thank you for being The Bonfires of Social Enterprise podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, listened to on TuneIn, and for more information and to directly download episodes on your desktop, please visit bonfiresofsocialenterprise.com and find us on Twitter at Bonfires Podcast and Facebook, Bonfires of Social Enterprise. If you have time, please fill out the survey that we have on the website. It'll help us do what all social enterprises need to do, which is gather data from our listeners so that we can be better servants. I'm Rami, and I want to personally thank you for listening and sharing. Music by Dan Castle and Thomas Rojo. Portions of this podcast have been provided by Rami Jingress and are copywritten 2015 Jingress Global LLC and are disseminated by Flatlands Avenue Productions by exclusive arrangement with Jingress Global LLC.